0: If you have your Bibles, turn them, turn in them with me to two places, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, and in the New Testament, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 and the Gospel of John chapter 1. This morning, we began a new series called Counterparts, and we'll be in this series for probably about eight weeks or so, uh, talking about New Testament passages of Scripture that have counterparts in the Old Testament. I'll tell you in a moment what I mean by counterparts. But we begin this morning with two passages of Scripture. One of them, uh, the Gospel of John, is, I believe, a counterpart to uh, the opening verses of the Bible in the book of Genesis. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 1. The writer of Genesis says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Then flip over to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 5 in the Gospel of John chapter 1. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind." The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. Now, I don't worship the Bible. I worship Jesus to whom the Bible points. I worship Jesus, not the Bible, but I love the Bible. I believe that the Bible is God's Word. I believe that God inspired the words of the Bible. I believe it's inspired by God. And people sometimes, especially these days, they'll say, well, how do you know that the Bible is inspired? Can you prove it? Well, I can't prove it uh, any more than I can prove the existence of God or that uh, someone who doesn't believe in God can prove the non-existence of God. Those are unprovable uh, uh, issues I believe that God exists and I believe the Bible is inspired. But for me, there are reasons why I believe it's inspired. I think about the impact that the Bible has had on my life more than anything else that I have read in my life. The Bible has influenced me. It has impacted me. It's blessed me and my and my family and it's blessed the churches of whom I've been a part. Not only that, but I've noticed that there are passages in the Bible which, when I read them, they have meanings, some hidden, some not so hidden, that when I can unravel them after spending uh, enough time with God, when I can unravel those meanings and see the, the beautiful nuggets of gold that lie beneath the words of Scripture, I am amazed at how powerful the Bible is. I'm amazed. I uh, uh, was looking at uh, the comic strips not too many years ago, and there was a comic strip uh, by uh, a fellow who does the Family Circle comic strips. And I was looking at those, Bill Keen is the guy who does the Family Circle comics, and there was a comic in Family Circle, a comic strip that that was of a little girl asking her mom, she said, mom, did God write the Bible or did he use a bunch of Holy Ghost writers to do it? Well, I think the answer is no and yes. No, he didn't use Holy Ghost writers, but on the other hand, he did use writers who were inspired by God. And the result of that inspiration of these writers is that we have God's words that move us in ways nothing else can. And when I think about the way God's word moves me, I am convinced that this word that we have, the Bible, is truly inspired. And I believe it's worth reading. And I believe it's worth praying over and applying it to our lives so that God's will can take over our minds and hearts and we can do God's will. The great scholar in Britain, C.S. Lewis, was once confronted by someone who asked him why, why he read the Bible through. And he said, I've read it through many times. And they said, well, why on earth would you read the Bible through over and over and over again? And his response to him was this. He says, quote, I can't imagine a man really enjoying a wonderful book and reading it only once. He enjoyed the Bible. But it wasn't like he was just reading any kind of book. He was reading a book that had moved him, that has moved billions of people since the time that the the books of the Bible were written. One of the reasons I believe that the Bible is inspired is because I see passages like John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And having read through the the Old Testament uh, uh, enough that I'm familiar with Genesis chapter 1, I look at John chapter 1 and I read those verses and I think, wow, that reminds me of something. And I go back and the thing that it reminds me of are the opening verses of the book of Genesis. So the opening verses of John remind me of the opening verses of Genesis. There's a similarity there that you don't find when you compare and contrast most New Testament passages with Old Testament passages. Now, there are those prophetic passages in the Old Testament where a a prophet in the Old Testament predicts the coming of the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And scholars tell us that Isaiah the prophet wrote chapter 7 sometime in the 700s B.C., in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 7 verse 14 Isaiah says for the Lord himself shall give you a sign the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel we call that a messianic prophecy a a prediction beforehand about the Messiah, Jesus, who would come. But when I'm talking about the counterparts like Genesis 1 and John 1, I'm not talking about prophetic passages per se. I'm rather talking about passages of Scripture in the New Testament that cause us to think about passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 and Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 are counterparts of each other. Now here's what a counterpart is. A counterpart is a person or thing that closely resembles another person or thing, especially in function. One of the two parts fits, completes, or complements the other part. That's what technically a counterpart is. But when we're talking about Scripture passages that are counterparts, here's what I mean. A counterpart is a Scripture passage that so closely resembles an earlier Scripture passage and complements it that it cannot have been by mistake. It had to have been intentional. And therefore, the latter Scripture passage, which usually is in the New Testament, becomes a counterpart or a resemblance or a reflection of the Old Testament passage. Now, I want to go through these passages here, John 1 and Genesis 1, and I want to show you some connections, seven connections between these two passages of Scripture that lead me to conclude that John 1 is a counterpart to Genesis 1. Are you with me? All right, so here we go. First off, I want you to notice that the first three words of both passages are exactly the same. Genesis chapter one, verse one opens up in the beginning. And John chapter one, verse one opens up in the beginning. Now, if that were the only similarity between these two passages, I would say, well, I love them both, but maybe they're not counterparts. But it's not the only one, but it's a great way to start. They both start with in the beginning. I have no doubt that when John was writing those words to his gospel and he started out in the beginning, he had in his mind the book of Genesis chapter one, in the beginning. Now, you and I know that there are four gospels, right? Matthew Mark, Luke, and what was the other one? Oh, yeah, thank you for reminding me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the first gospel to be written. Mark is. Mark wrote sometime around 64 or 65 A.D., And he begins the story, his gospel of Jesus Christ, with the ministry of John the baptizer and the ministry of Jesus. That's where Mark starts. He doesn't go back to the birth narratives. He doesn't go back to when Jesus was dedicated in the temple. He doesn't go back to anything like that. He just starts with the ministry of John the baptizer and the ministry of Jesus. Then there's Matthew and Luke. While Mark was written sometime around 64 or 65, Matthew was written sometime during the 70s. And Matthew, who wrote in the 70s, and Luke, who wrote probably in the 80s, starts not with the ministry of John the baptizer and the ministry of Jesus, but they start with the birth of Jesus. Matthew starts his gospel with the birth of Jesus. And he describes that birth through the lens of Jesus' supposed father, Joseph. All of that is painted from the perspective of Joseph. Luke, on the other hand, tells the birth narrative, but he doesn't go through Joseph. He paints the entire picture through the lens of Mary, Jesus' mother. And for that reason, as you read the two birth narratives, Matthew's and Luke's, they will be different. They will will focus on some different things. Matthew talks about the wise men, the magi. Luke doesn't mention the magi, but he talks about the shepherds. They will be different because they're, they're approaching the birth narratives from different perspectives. But John, when he begins his gospel... It's not enough for John to start with the ministry of John the baptizer or the ministry of Jesus. That's good and well, John says, but I want to go beyond that. And for John, it's not enough to start with the birth of Jesus, whether you describe it from Joseph's perspective or Mary's perspective. For John, we got to go beyond that. So he goes beyond the ministry of Jesus and beyond the birth of Jesus. And he starts in the beginning. And in the beginning, he's really talking about eternity in the past. Because for John, Jesus is not just someone who shows up at the time his ministry started. And for John, Jesus is not someone who just appeared at the moment that he was born in a manger. But for John, Jesus is the eternal God who has always existed. For John, there has never been a time when Jesus did not exist. And so John goes all the way back to the beginning and therefore, he echoes the words of Genesis one in the beginning. Second, connection is that both of these passages of scripture talk about the fact that God created the whole chapter, Genesis chapter one, as you all know, describes the creation of God. God cre- not not the creation of uh, uh, that God was created, but God's creating the entire universe. And so Genesis opens up with these words, in the beginning, God created. Five powerful words, in the beginning, God created. John, on the other hand, begins this way, in the beginning was the word... And by the, by the term word, I'll talk about this a little bit later. By the term word, John is not talking about written words or spoken words. He's talking about the living word, Jesus Christ. John could have said, because this is what he meant, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That's really what he was saying. But he, instead of saying Jesus, he uses this term, the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he said, He was with God from the beginning. And then he says this, verse 3 Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. What's John talking about right there? God creating. So Genesis 1 In the beginning, God created. And then John 1 chapter, John chapter 1 verse 3, through him, Jesus, who is God, John has already said, through him all things were made, without him was not anything made that was made. So both John and the writer of Genesis in chapters 1 are talking about God's creation, that God created everything. And then third, they both talk about this creative activity of God's word, Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 says, and God said, let there be light and there was light. Do you get that? And God said. In fact, if you go all the way through Genesis chapter 1, anytime God creates something, it starts out with this. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be a firmament.' And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God created man in his image after his likeness. It all began and continues to begin throughout that chapter with, and God said. In other words, what, the, what Genesis is telling us is that creation is the result of God speaking it into existence, the power of God's word or words. Now, what does John say? John says, in the beginning was, does they say in the beginning was Jesus? That's what he meant, but is that what he said? No. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If you go all the way down to verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. That's very clear. But he uses this term, the word. Instead of using the name Jesus, he uses the term, the word. Why is he doing that? I believe it's intentional. I believe that John wants you and me when we read John chapter one to have in our mind Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created all things were made by through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning, and God said, and God said, and God said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see that, that play on those words? In Genesis, God speaks, and everything is created. In John, it is this Word of God, the living Word of God, Jesus, who is the agent of everything that has been created. Words. Fourth. Connection. Both of these passages focus on the life-giving attribute of God. Throughout Genesis chapter 1, we find not only God creating things, but he creates life. In fact, uh, it could be argued that you take out the creation of life in Genesis chapter 1 and there's really nothing to talk about. Because God is all about creating life. And so, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, God creates plant life. In Genesis 1, verses 20 and 21, he creates animal life. And in Genesis 1, beginning with verse 26, he creates human life. God is all about creating life in Genesis chapter 1. But notice what John says in John chapter 1, verse 4. He says, in him, that is Jesus, there was life, and that life was the light of of all humankind. Now think about that. In Genesis 1, at least three different times, it says, and God said, and and with, with the God said part, what was created was some kind of life, plant life, animal life, human life. In John chapter 1, the Bible says there that in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all men. In other words, in both passages, we see the life-giving attribute of God. God is a life-giver. Number five. In both of these passages, God made light, and he became the true light. God made light, and he became the true light. Genesis chapter one, verse three. God said, let there be light And there was light now in Genesis 1 God is creating physical light everything was dark the Bible says that darkness was upon the face of the deep and God said let there be light and there was light and the light penetrated the darkness physical light in John chapter 1 verse 4 says in Jesus was life and that life was the light of humankind and that light shines into the darkness. Genesis 1 is talking about God creating physical light. John chapter 1 is talking about spiritual light coming through the Word of God, who is Jesus. Jesus bringing us spiritual light. So in Genesis, God made light. And in John chapter 1, Jesus, God, became the true Light. We're talking about connections between John 1 and Genesis 1, number 6. Both of these passages talk about the abundance of darkness. Genesis 1 1 says this In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness. In John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in Jesus was life. That life was the light of mankind. And that light shines, present tense, shines in the what? Darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Different uh, versions translate that uh, word overcome differently. Some of them say comprehend. Some say apprehend. Some say... Uh, overcome to me all of them apply in Jesus was life that life was the light of men and the light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot apprehend comprehend overcome or whatever else you want to put there the light overcomes the darkness and the darkness is powerless in its face so both of them talking about the abundance of darkness and finally the conquest of the darkness by the light Genesis tells us that while darkness was upon the face of the deep, God said, let there be light. And there was light, so the light dispelled the physical darkness. John says Jesus is the light that shines into the spiritual darkness of humankind and conquers that darkness. And John adds again that that the darkness could not do anything with that light. Those are seven connections between John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1 that are so so powerful that they lead me to conclude that John chapter 1 especially verses 1 through 5 provide a counterpart to Genesis chapter 1 in other words when John was writing chapter 1 he had in mind Genesis 1 because he wanted all of us to know that Jesus started back in the beginning but not only did Jesus was Jesus already uh, existing back in the beginning of all creation but this Jesus is the light that conquers our darkness. And so here's the message in a sentence. Are you ready for this? Genesis 1 and John 1 remind us that we worship a God who reaches into our darkness and offers the light of Jesus. These two passages as counterparts are counterparts, I believe, because they tell us that God... This God we worship reaches into our darkness through Jesus and conquers that darkness with Jesus' light. Now, not everybody likes that. And the reason that not everybody likes it is because when the light comes, it exposes everything. It exposes when we look good. And it exposes when we look bad. And we don't like Are bad, exposed. But listen to this. Regardless, God wants his light into your life. What is the darkness in your life right now that is threatening to ruin everything you have? What is it? Because God has something better for you We all know that the Greeks started the Olympics. Not the modern Olympics, but the ancient Olympics. In those ancient Olympics, they had some... uh, races that we don't have today in our modern Olympics. One of them was a relay race in which the, the winner of the race was not the first runner across the finish line, but each of the runners not only was called upon to run, but they were given a torch, a lit torch. And the winner of the race was the first runner across the finish line with his torch still lit. That took some strategy, because if you go too fast, it's going to blow your torch out. Hello? So you have to be careful. But isn't it wonderful? You know, if I'm racing in that race, I'd hate to have to worry the whole time, number one, about racers who are getting past me, and number two, going so fast that I'm blowing my torch out. I'm just going to be a nervous wreck in there. But isn't it wonderful to know? that for those of us who know Christ, for those of us who've invited Christ into our lives, we will finish this race. God guarantees we will finish this race with our torches still lit because the light that is in us is Jesus who came to dispel the darkness. My question for you, do you know Christ? Have you invited the light of Christ into your life to save you? If you haven't, this is a great time to do so. My question to you is, maybe you've already been saved, but what have you done with your salvation? Have you united with a great church? Are you finding places to plug in and serve? What are you doing with it? Are you spending time in God's Word? Are you spending time with God's people? Are you listening to what God has to say? Even if it's light that exposes the darkness? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that long before there was anything, there was you. We thank you that there's never been a time when you haven't existed. And that means that Jesus Christ has been Lord of all for eternity. But Lord, there are people in churches all across this land who have met and they do not know you as their Savior. They've never begun to allow the light of Christ into the darkness of their hearts. And Lord, my prayer is that today, if any of those people happen to be seated with us, that they'll make the move to invite Christ into their lives. All of us, Lord, are people for whom you have plans. God, I pray that every one of us would take a step closer to the realization of your plans for us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.